Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. This is a live call-in show. We will give you the number in a little while, and you can, uh, if you have a question or a comment, you can call us and we can talk uh, about whatever it is relative to Mormonism, Christianity, or anything else. I want to say hello to the men and women in the Utah State prison system, those who are incarcerated. We love you. We know that you watch. You send letters, and uh, we, we appreciate them. And our prayers are with you. Hopefully we can get out and see you at the different places as you've, uh, as you've tried in the past. So God bless you. Keep going and keep uh, in touch with the Lord. Complaints. This week we were inundated with complaints. And I'm going to talk about one specific one. And we're going to spend all next week addressing that specific one. And the whole show is really going to be about our methods, our philosophy, and what this whole thing is about and why we do things or why I do things the way I do them on the air with certain people. So um, we got a lot of complaints in a lot of other areas. One from a Christian writer in Sandy uh, by the name of Diane. She wrote, quote, It is inaccurate to use the term Mormon theology not proper as per Christians, use the term Mormon doctrine instead. Uh, I want you to know, Diane, that um, this is crazy. And uh, sorry to disagree with you, Christian sister, but when we start mincing words and trying to say, you can say this, you can't say that, and it comes down to that, we begin to look at the minutia of the differences between us, and we skip the big picture, which is Jesus. Whether I say Mormon doctrine or Mormon theology is insignificant, and let me tell you why. The Greek word for theology, or it comes from theos, and the word theos means God. That word in the Greek has many different meanings. For instance, it can mean an uncertain affinity. It can mean a deity, a deity, not the deity. It can mean the supreme deity. And it can also mean a magistrate, figuratively speaking, in the uh, Hebraic way, the way the Hebrews talked. So it can mean a human being. They use the word theos for them. So when you say theos or theology, all you're talking about is the, the way people view God in their respective ways. You can speak of... Um, you can speak of Buddhist theology. You can speak of Muslim theology. And if that's contrary to your senses, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to start worrying about little words like that. Let's try to look at the big picture. All right, from another email, a writer told me to stop using the word Mormon. Um, in fact, that was somebody who also sent in a gamma, and that person said, first of all, I would like you to not use the term Mormonism because it is misleading. It is not the name of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the correct name? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint Mormonism does not have the same name as Christ in it. It's a nickname. It is misleading. Don't use the word Mormon. And Mormonism, again, with you being LDS, just, just forget that one. You know, the same way as forget me not being able to say theology relative to Mormonism. As a Latter-day Saint, just blow this thing off. You guys have done just as much... Uh, campaigning to be called Mormons as anybody else. In fact, there's television uh, program, not programs, but advertisements on now that's still in with a parenthetical reference, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. I mean, you do that. You refer to people who you think are anti 
uh, LDS as anti-Mormons. You will use that term. You don't say they're anti the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You say they're anti-Mormon. So you do the same thing. Let's just get off that little nitpicky thing. I'm going to say what I want when it comes to it. We know what we're talking about. It's not a derogatory term. I don't mean it in any insult. It's just easier to say than the other mouthful. Okay, and then uh, the hottest accusations came from people all over the place relative to uh, my discussion with Melissa last week. And I got it from Christians, from Christian pastors, to Christians who have fallen, to LDS. I have LDS saying I handled her great. I have LDS attacking me. I have Christians saying it was right on the mark. I have Christians saying it was terrible. We cover the gamut when it comes to that conversation. And next week, so let's hold off the calls today on what happened with that. Next week, let me lay out our philosophy, why I do the things I do and the way I do them. You can call then an attack and encounter, but this week, hold off your comments about the way I handled Melissa last week, show number 34, and let us move forward and I'll prepare something and then we can go uh, that way. But there was a lot of them and I understand your points, but we'll talk about it then. All right, we need some prayer, obviously, and I'm gonna go to it. You ready? Dear Lord, we ask your blessings upon the children tonight who are out there doing who knows what, for what reason, having fun, being with friends and family, and just bless them and protect these children from the evil forces of this world. Lord, we pray that you will be with the listeners, be with me the host, let me speak and say the things you want me to say for the purposes that we have. Bless the station in Jesus' name, amen. Four weeks ago, we started on a journey looking at some of the important elements regarding Jesus of Christianity and the Jesus of Mormonism. Show number 31, we uh, began part one of Who is Jesus? Show 32, 33, 34, and today 35 have all been about that topic. You can go to the website and watch those shows if you want to see what, we, what we've said in context. But we learned that the Jesus of Mormonism was a created being out of pre-existing material, remember that, but biblical Christianity, we learn Jesus has no beginning or end. We learn that in the Jesus of Mormonism was a spirit brother to both Satan and each one of us. But the Bible says that Jesus created all things, and all means all. We also learn that in Mormonism, Jesus was conceived naturally by a sexual union between God the Father and Mary, who was one of his wives. But the Bible tells us that Jesus became the incarnate by virtue of the Holy Ghost, overshadowing Mary, a beautiful and wholesome virgin. All right? Remember, shows 31 through 35 cover everything else. Before we conclude this very short series on the Savior, because we could have one all year long, I'm sure, I'd like to summarize the cumulative results of these divergent beliefs found in Mormonism and what they produce in the lives of its members. I know what it produces in the lives of the members. My wife still attends. My daughters sometimes go. I still pop in. My mom, my brother, my sisters, my f some friends who have remade my friends still go. I know what it produces having been in there 40 years. This isn't conjecture, all right? First, Jesus goes from being the uncreated creator of all things to a created being, our elder brother, who was put in charge of creating the world. Now, here's the point of this. I know I've already covered it, but here's the point. Does this make you lift Jesus up in adoration 
or does it lower Jesus in your, in your eyes and heart for him? When you put him in this context, that he was a created being or that he created all things and he was not a created, which one do you lift Jesus higher on when you look at it? Okay? Second, Jesus in Mormon doctrine had to come to earth to gain a body. It was a must in order for him to progress. Okay? So, does this view make Jesus higher in your esteem of him or lower in your esteem? That he had to come to earth to get a body just like you. Or does it lower him in your esteem by knowing that he came here and sacrificed his place on the throne to, and became incarnate and became low with us and that, he and that he would probably rather have not come and gotten a body? Which one do you, raises him up more in your view? All right. Finally, what is the end result, the end application, what is the end worldview of Jesus in the collective LDS heart and mind? Is he the Savior who did the atonement, or is he my Savior to you? Is it my Savior who saved you from sin? How do you view him when you think of him, Latter-day Saints, the Savior and his atonement, or my Savior who gave everything for me and pulled me out of a life of sin? There's a difference there. It may be subtle in your mind, but there is a difference. Is he lifted higher or brought down a little lower in your esteem? And finally, do you worship Jesus? And this is what we're going to conclude on tonight, worshiping Jesus. After a show a number of weeks ago, I got a call from a young woman, and she really let me have it. She was very irate at something I said, and she said, we worship Jesus in every meeting we have. And she said, uh, have you ever been a member of the LDS Church? And I replied, you don't worship him. You're uh, not supposed to worship him. And she said, that's a lie. That's a lie. And she, she was screaming like I'm known to do. That's a lie. And I said, let me read this to you. I had the article with me. It's from a speech given by Apostle Bruce R. McConkie. I was in the Mission Training Center in Provo, Utah, when McConkie visited the uh, Marriott Center on BYU campus when, uh, and delivered this address. Uh, it's called Our Relationship with the Lord. If you want to look that up, you can find it at uh, speeches.byu.edu. And I'm going to just cover a, quick, a few quick things that he said in there. He said, we worship the Father and Him only and no one else. Now remember, Latter-day Saints believe that the Father and the Son are separate and distinct individuals, separate and distinct in physical bodies. We worship the Father and no one else. We do not worship the Son, and we do not worship the Holy Ghost. I know perfectly well what the Scriptures say about worshiping Christ and Jehovah, but they are speaking in an entirely different sense. The sense of standing in awe and being reverentially grateful to Him who has redeemed us. Worship in the true and saving nature is reserved for God first. Interesting how he puts that. Let's, uh, after I said that to the girl on the phone, she said, Well, I don't care what he said back then. We worship Him now. If that's the case, I don't believe it's the case. But if that's the case, I think the LDS Church should renounce things like that. So that everybody who thinks McConkie was laying out apostle doctrine straight from thus saith the Lord, 
They refute these things. If they don't believe them, great, I praise God. But let's have an official renouncement of these things so that LDS can turn their hearts more to him and say, yeah, we do worship him and we renounce this part. Let's do that. But it doesn't happen. Okay, well, what does it mean to you when you say you worship Jesus, I asked. And she says, I ponder and I appreciate the atonement. What does that mean to you exactly, she said. It means that I take every week to sing and contemplate his atoning sacrifice. Okay, and I went and I said, you know, our family has two Labrador retrievers. And they are very intuitive and obedient dogs. And when I walk outside, they approach me with great excitement and love, but also with kind of a humble submission. And they bow themselves down, they lower their eyes, and they lick my feet and they lick my hands. And I said, as a Latter-day Saint, do you worship Jesus like my dog worships me? She said, you're sick. You're sick, okay? Then I said to her, then you don't understand what worship is. And let me tell you what it is, uh, the audience. The Greek word for worship is, pros is proskunio, proskunio, okay? The word pros, P-R-O-S, in the Greek means to lay out. It means to stretch out. It means to bow down. It means to fall flat, pros, okay? The word uh, kuon in the Greek is the word for dog. It's the word for a hound, all right? So proskuon, proskuneo, means to prostrate oneself in reverence and homage, uh, homage and to lick and fawn like a dog before an object of veneration. That's what it means. That's what worship means, proscunio. If you take the word proscunio anywhere in the New Testament or Old, but the Old's in Hebrew, and you look at it relative to the Father, or you look at it relative to the Son, there's, it's always proscunio. There's no variation in the Greek word. It's not like for the Father, there's another word for worship. It's the exact same thing, okay? Was Jesus as God incarnate ever worshiped when he was on this earth? Did he allow people to worship him or did he stop them and say, don't worship me, worship the Father? Matthew 2, Jesus was a young child and the wise men found him at home with his mother. Verse 11, Matthew 2. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. They proscunioed him like dogs before their master, a babe, a child, all right? Matthew 14.33, the sea was rough, it was nighttime, and Peter ventured out in faith and walked upon it when the Lord called him out. And then he began to sink as he looked at the waves around him, and the Lord reached down and lifted him up. And when they came in the boat, and the winds did immediately cease, they that were in the ship proscunioed the Lord. They saw his power to walk among the waves, to lift Peter out of the waves, and to stop the storm. And they worshipped him like a dog to their master. In John 9, a man that was born blind was healed by the Lord. And when he stood up for Jesus, the elders kicked him out of the synagogue. Verses 35 through 38 the, uh, the dialogue continues, 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found them, he said unto them, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And by the way, when the, when the scriptures say Son of God, 
it's, it's just me, it, it's, you'll find that the Jews became irate at that term. Why? Because it made him equal with God. It was, didn't literally mean uh, a son in the sense that this father has this son. It means in the sense that you are God's representative on earth, the son of God. That's why whenever Jesus would say the son of God, the Jews would pick up stones to kill him because they knew what he was saying. They weren't saying you're making yourself like the son of God. They said you're making yourself like God himself. Okay? Anyway, he goes on and says, Who is he, Lord, the, the guy who was blind, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Verse 38, And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What will you do when you come face to face with the Lord, Latter-day Saints? What will you do? Will you say, I want to thank you, elder brother Jesus, for your atoning sacrifice and making me able to live with Heavenly Father again? Or will you fall at his feet like a prostrate dog and bathe his feet in your tears and raise your hands in adoration and praise him for what he did? If you are LDS and you believe that you will fall at his feet in tears and you'll reach up and praise him like I've described and you have that in you, why don't you do it now in your meetings? How come you don't ever see this go on? How come you don't have people praising Jesus, raising their hands for Jesus, singing heartfelt for what Jesus has done for them as sinners? How come you have apostles saying, we don't worship Jesus? We don't. It's amazing how different, how different this is. And we're topping this final segment off on who is Jesus with why you don't worship him. You can, you can be angry at me for this show. You can, you can think that I have evil in me for bringing this out. And we'll discuss that next week. But for now, ask yourself, why don't I worship Jesus? And if you find it offensive to be someone who bows and licks at his feet, you do not understand yet who he is or what he's done for you. And you view him in an intellectual term, an intellectual assessment that I know he's a savior and I know he atoned and I'm grateful for what he's done to let me go with. And it's just intellectual assessment. It isn't a heartfelt praise and worship. With everything else put aside, do you personally possess unbridled and unlimited devotion for Jesus? Not the Savior, but your Lord, your King, your Sovereign God, your Master? If so, if you have this, there's no question you've been born again. But if you have to work on getting these responses to arrive in your heart, if you have an intellectual understanding of Jesus in this life-altering adoration of Him, if you think fawning and praising over Him is sick, you've missed the boat, and you've missed the boat big time. All right? One of the biggest, if not the biggest, failures of Mormonism is the overall lack of leading its general membership to fully realizing who Jesus is and what He means to each one of you on a personal worshipful, uh, prostrate basis, and it has failed in doing that. 
If you fell into a deep, dark chasm and out in the forest and you laid there for three days and in that chasm were snakes and, and venomous spiders and all kinds of horrible creatures crawling all over you and you had to lay there completely still and you didn't know if you would be saved and you watched somebody come to the edge of that, that pit and then at the risk of his life crawl down all the way down, do whatever he could to gently clear you off, pick you up on his back and haul you back out and take you to safety and feed you and nourish you and save your life, you would come close, come close in the physical sense of what a person can do in the name of Jesus and you would be very, very grateful for that person. In the spiritual sense, we're talking millions of times over what he has done for you, okay? We don't hear this in the LDS meetings. You and I owe him all of our praise, all of our devotions, all of our allegiance, and this should never go to anyone else ever. Let's go to the phone lines, and uh, we have a call. Few in Ogden on line two. Few, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sam. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, Sam. You make me very proud of you. Thank you, Sue. Right, right position. Don't worry about what hypocrites say. Okay. Okay? Whosoever, Bible say, whosoever comes from me will accept my words. They denied my words because they're not from me. Right. As a pastor, standing with the words of God, nothing else. And if people starting to walk, love you, like you, saying, hey, you are great, brother, you are great, then you got to look for yourself what you're doing. Yeah, they, uh, you have a very good point there, and I'm learning that quickly, Sue. Remember, Jesus, who crucified Jesus? Yes, they did. Hypocrites did it. You're standing with the world, then you will see nothing but enemy sound. Thank you so much, Sue. Praise God, and thank you so much for watching and for your uh, calls and the things you, nice things you say. I'll keep uh, trying to do what the Lord wants me to do. Remember, you and me both now same position. Okay. Do you know how I feel? Yes. Only thing you are better than me is you living in California. Yeah. Not as bad as me. That's true. It's not as bad for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna take you time too much for another course. <laughs> Want you to call me at the finish, okay? Okay, you take care. Okay. Bye bye. We're going to Randall, believe this or not, in Anaheim, California. Randall, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I had a question about Joseph Smith's translation. Yeah. Does that make the for Mormons? Does that make the Bible or the books they have anyway, like perfect, like what God meant to say? No, because um, he really didn't give a full translation. He really emphasized Genesis and Matthew, and he kind of went through and did some other things to Romans. They, don't, they only use references to the JST in their cross-references at the bottom of their King James Version of the Bible, but they don't even put out the whole uh, translation, and I think it's because there's a lot of errors in it. So I, I think they kind of view it as not perfect and, uh, and unfinished. So it wasn't inspired then? 
they think some of it was inspired, and uh, you know, you kind of get into on a slippery slope here because some was inspired, but you don't know if all was, and they just don't release the whole thing. They just use parts of it. So what are like the errors there? You know, I don't know the JST really well, uh, but I'll tell you this. Um, it's very convenient, the changes he makes, because what they do is they just alter the Christian view to the LDS view. Right on, dude. Yeah. Hey, how did you, how did you know to call? I've been watching the show online. Uh, your friend Ken Sutton gave me the number. Oh, fantastic. Good question, man. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Douglas on line four. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Douglas, we lost you, brother. Okay, uh, the operators, have, the lines are full. Keep calling. I want to read a few letters. Um, no name. This is actually from a caller. Line three. Douglas, oh, three. line three. Sorry, messed that up. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, sh Yes. John, this is Doug. How are you tonight? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Yes. Uh, I just wanted to read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Okay. This was 732 years before the birth of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Now, just a couple of chapters later in verse 4 of chapter 11, it says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. When the Lord and the armies of heaven on white horses and in white robes and him with crowns and a sword coming out of his mouth will destroy the armies of Armageddon marching on Jerusalem and there is the two areas in Isaiah that 2,711 years ago he predicted these things it's beautiful. Doug, you always add some great scriptural insights. I appreciate your knowledge and preparation and for keeping on uh, sharing. Hey, you have a wonderful evening. All right, same to you, Doug. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. By the way, I want to let you know that in McConkie's talk that I referenced, he also talked about that we do not pray to Jesus. We do not. And he really quite, he mocked people for, for, for that. I want to read to you a quote from the LDS uh, Bible Dictionary, King James Version, 1981 edition. I think it's probably still in there. Quote, Jehovah is the premortal Jesus Christ and came to earth being born of Mary. Okay, so the LDS believe that Jehovah is the premortal Jesus Christ of the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, uh, 29, 7 says, pray to Jehovah. Okay. Uh, so does verse 11, call upon me, declares Jehovah. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 7, God is near us. Will we pray to the Lord Jehovah? So all through the Old Testament, all the references are praying to Jehovah, who the LDS say was Jesus. So I'm trying to understand that one too. If you have some insights, let me know. Okay, we are going to Lisa in Draper, first time caller online too. Lisa, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. 
How's it going? I'm going all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I have a, a little bit of a question here. Okay. I have a um, little bit of an answer. Yeah. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. You ask God for his intercession in your life, and you ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, on the other hand, that you don't call upon Jesus and that you don't pray to Jesus. But you do. You ask him for his intercession along with his Father and his Spirit, which is all one God in three persons. Another good insight into the Trinity. We had one last week. Did you see that, Lisa? No, this is the first time I've seen your show, and I think it's great. Oh, yeah, we had another guy call and give us another insight. If Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, but they called him the Son of God, the Holy Ghost was therefore God, and therefore how the Trinity is confirmed in that expression. Well, yeah, in, in that sense, he was conceived um, through the Holy Spirit yeah. by the Virgin Mary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, really good point, Lisa. Keep watching. Well, yeah. You know, there's one thing that you guys need to, I think, remember is that Mary is the mother of Christ. And she's also the queen of the angels. She's also the queen of... Are you Catholic? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'm not going to go down on the queen of the angels and all that, but uh, I do believe and agree with you that she is the mother of Jesus. Yes, she is, and she, she does deserve our respect and our love. Yes, she does. You take uh, care. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Steve in Wilder, Idaho on line four. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Sean? Yes. Okay. Steve Hensley here. Hey, Steve. Great show. Thank you. Uh, I have a question on your Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, okay. on keeping the Sabbath. Yes. Uh, I've been studying a lot, and I just can't understand why more denominations don't keep the Sabbath. It's throughout the Bible from the beginning where it says uh, in Genesis that the Sabbath was created for man. Yeah. Uh, and you go on to Matthew, it references about how Jesus came here to keep the commandments keep the law. Uh -huh. uh, Revelation, it talks about it again in 14.12, about those who keep the commandments will, you know, be with him. Right. You want me to answer? I need an answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, first and foremost, the Sabbath day was a covenant day between the children of Israel and God. And, and, and the, the punishment for disobeying the Sabbath, Steve, was death. Okay, and, and so we have a, we're under a different covenant. They were under the covenant of works. We're under a covenant of grace. Now, after... I can't find anywhere in the Bible that says we no longer have to obey the law. Read what Paul t says about, uh, and Peter t talks about uh, Sabbath days, new moons, ob uh, observances uh, after the day of Pentecost. See, with Jesus, he's going to obey the Sabbath. He is going to follow the law because he's going to fulfill all righteousness. And you have to remember that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were an extension of the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't really begin. The New Covenant doesn't really begin until the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Ascension.
So we ha we are under a new now. This all being said, and the Sabbath day, we are going to have a show on it because we do get a lot of questions on it, and, and we will have a show. But let me say this: I do believe that God has a has a respect for people who want to obey the Sabbath. Okay, I don't think that has any uh, connection to have uh, to salvation, but I do believe God does recognize people's intentions. And so I'm not going to pick it apart and mock people for uh, keeping a Sabbath day. But I think it's the Lord's day and it plays all into that as well. The last day of the week versus the first day of the week. And we'll cover that on another show. But long answer short, uh, we just aren't under, uh, under the law. Well, I appreciate your time. Okay. And I look forward to, to when you do have your show on the Sabbath. Uh... Hey, email me too, and I can give you some more uh, uh, stuff if you want. You go to the website. Okay. All right, Steve, thanks for calling. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we have Bob in South Jordan. Bob, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, Sean, I wanted to uh, point out that in July of this year, President Hinckley in the First Presidency Address yes. um, mentions that uh, he goes through this whole description of, you know, things that he believes in. And he mentions uh, specifically that uh, he says, I worship him, Christ, as I worship his Father in spirit and in truth. Huh. That's, uh, that's good. And just, uh, can, you and, email, can you email me that reference? Well, it's just the July Enzyme, uh, the First Presidency Address. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's fantastic. I, I, you know, I, I hate to be kind of a nitpicky, but I wish he'd say, you know, McConkie was wrong because, I mean, he laid it out just with his probably more emphasis about how we don't. But, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley, there is a move among the LDS. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to be more Christian-like. Maybe they're trying to uh, appear more Christian-like. I don't know. And statements like that get a lot of press. But I like to see them, you know, it's a good thing to say. But, you know, there's a lot of studious guys, sounds like you might be one of them, and, and they read everything, and in context, I don't think they, they necessarily believe that. Um, I, well, I, I certainly do. I always have, and, and awesome. I did a little search of the LDS uh, database, and there's like, you know, just doing a casual search of Worship Jesus Together, there was 54 references throughout LDS history of, of just that phrase in the very limited database that I have on the subject. I know the Book of Mormon talks about it, but again, the answer to that you probably know is the Book of Mormon was a more of a 19th century uh, piece of Christian literature in most cases than, than the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. But let me ask you, how does that worship play out in the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month LDS life? Well, I think all of us, uh, probably uh, there's an old phrase that... Uh, what is it? Uh, copying, uh, imitation is the highest form yeah. of flattery. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every one of us that, that follows Christ is trying to be like him, you know, to be perfect even as his Father in Heaven is perfect, or as the Book of Mormon says, even as he and his Father in Heaven are perfect. Okay. You know, that's, that's how it plays out, I think, most importantly, is we try to render service, we try to be kind, we try to do the things which he told us that we needed to do, in order to follow him. To so the, 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 the main way that you're saying LDS worship him is through their actions and their attempts, you say try a few times, at living the way he said we should. Correct. Okay. Well, it's a good call because uh, I'm glad to hear that, and I hope that they build on that. I just think, 
you know, that what would lead McConkie to say such things? Well, I think, I, I think primarily you have the Savior saying, you know, my father is greater than I am. And, and yeah, but he was incarnate when he said that. I mean, <laughs> well, you believe Jesus still has a body today, though, don't you? Well, he's got to come back in something. Okay, so he still has a body, and, sure. and, and does the Father have a body? I, I don't think you believe he does. No, no, the Father's a spirit. So would Jesus' body make him less uh, worthy of being worshipped than the Father? No. Jesus fulfilled his purpose. His purpose was to come and become carnate so that he could save us. Yes, uh, agreed. And, yeah. But he pointed, he, he told us to pray to the Father. Uh-huh told us to, to worship the Father, to yeah. ask things that we needed of the Father in His name. Sure, because He was teaching us as a man on what we do in this life. But it, He was also worshipped Himself, and He also said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're asking me, Philip, show us the Father, you've seen Him. So, I mean, you, I, I understand what you're trying to, to point out here, but when you really look at it in the entire context of Scripture, there's really no difference. I think when people worship Jesus, I mean, we know that it, there was, you know, there actually is a couple of different forms of worship because, and I think you pointed it out, there's people that worship as in showing uh, respect to a person. and, and That's not worship. Well, but it's the same word in Greek. No. Yeah, it is. The, the obeisance, the, to, to lay down to, to... No, obeisance is not the same in the Greek. It's not, the, it's pro, not proscunio. Is, it's the same word. Proscunio? Proscunio, proscuni is the verb, you know, that for... No. As, obe as obeisance? No. Um, well, email me and we'll go back on that and check it out. I could be wrong. If I am, I'll admit it next week. I don't believe so. And I, I, obeisance is not worship. Well, you know? okay. According to, uh, I don't know, you know, the... The Koine Greek? Yeah, according to the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament Greek by Donker, yeah. uh, Walter Bauer's dictionary. Yeah. That's one of the definitions of... Uh, one of the definitions, but I, I don't think that it's proscunio. And proscunio is the one that directly relates to a dog and, and the laying prostrate out. And I think there's a difference when it comes to be giving obeisance to a king and, and uh, to the Lord. Well, it, again, it's the same word, but, but I, I guess the point is, what I was actually trying to make is that um, people that went up and worshipped Jesus, they weren't doing that because he commanded them to worship them. And, and because he's yep. God, he accepted worship. That's completely appropriate. But in his direction, he said to worship the Father. And, and, but, you he know, didn't it's say like, that in lieu of. He didn't say, don't worship me. Paul did. Peter did. They said, don't worship me. Right. But Jesus never did. Right, but he didn't. When people, I mean, you're, you ask the question, why would McConkie say something like this? Yeah. I'm just trying to reconstruct what he might be trying to teach in the, is, is that Jesus referred and reflected all glory back to his father you know he wasn't jesus wasn't going after trying to be the big fish even though he was um you know he was he well that's 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 i understand his humility but he also accepted all uh praise he also accepted all adoration he accepted people pouring expensive uh bottles of perfume on his feet and and all kinds of stuff and he didn't stop them because he knew who he was Right. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I, I, in fact, I think that that's the reason that when, uh, when he appeared to Stephen, as Stephen was being stoned with, with the Father, you know, at the Father's right hand, you know, Stephen said, Lord, lay this not 
you know, at their, at their feet. That's a great example you brought up, Bob. Stephen prayed to Jesus Christ in that instance. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, and that goes contrary to what McConkie said, too. Well, but Jesus was right there, at least. What? He was in heaven. Well, for Stephen, apparently Stephen had God and Christ, you know, however it was accomplished. He I was praying know. to him. He said, Jesus, he prayed to Jesus right there. Right. I mean, Mormons would mock someone who said, Jesus, pray, praying to Jesus, they'd mock him. But Stephen did it when he was being stoned. Well, because he was looking right at Jesus. He was, it, it says, I saw, he sees God and he sees Jesus Christ standing to the right side of God. Yeah. And he, and he says to Jesus, and this is how Jesus told us to pray anyway, right? Is he says, Jesus, lay this not at their feet. You know? But he he, pr he prayed to Jesus there. Right. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. In any McConkie way, it, says you don't do it. We would if Jesus were here. Wow. Uh, good stuff, Bob. Good questions. Good comments. You have some. Uh, you bring some great things to the table. I'll ponder on it. Check out obeisance and uh, call again. All right. Thank you. All right, man. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to Lynn Orem, first-time caller. Lynn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. 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 You got to turn, turn your TV off, Lynn. It's off. Okay. Fire away. You're on the air. Hello, hello, hello. You're on the air, Lynn. I'm not answering. I'm answering. Do you hear me? Oh, hi. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I just want to ask you, I'm so happy have this program on. We're so excited. We're from California. We're here and we didn't have a local station that was this good. We found your program tonight. We're excited. Oh, good. But good. I wanted to ask you uh, about, uh, have you realized the book of Abraham? That it's a fake? <laughs> yeah. I think the LDS Church knows it is too. I, they, they uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much... Uh, They've come up with a new answer for how it was, uh, what those manuscripts, uh, those scrolls played in Joseph Smith's translation process. What was that? Yeah. Uh, what they say is that he looked at those ancient artifacts and was filled with the uh, revelation of what should be said instead of directly looking at them and getting uh, the direct words, word for word from the scrolls. He was just inspired by what oh. they, yeah, that's the, new, that's the new twist on it. Uh, they've tried every other way to prove them, going back to the 1950s and forward. But, yeah, that's what they're doing now. Well, the fact that it's actually the Book of Readings, the Book of the Dead. Yeah. They're just dishonoring what it truly is, huh? Absolutely. I just, pray, wow. I just pray the Latter-day Saints will just turn to the Lord. I mean, I just pray that, you know, like we talked about on the first show, Lynn, on the first show we talked about them standing up and lifting their hands and worshiping the Lord in their congregations and uh, having an altar call there in their, in their ward houses and going forward and confessing their sins. And I hope that hungry. there's a revolution that occurs. They're hungry. Yeah, they're hungry. You can see it. I have a son at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, we're, we're Pentecostal. <laughs> I have a son at the moment, and he was not raised Mormon, but he, he's been a Mormon now for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he just recently began to realize that he is not believing what he reads. Yeah. And he, he's starting to question it. Yeah. So, um, he's yeah. not alone. He's not alone. But I do have one more comment. I know you, you okay. don't have much time, but I want, I want to tell the person that was talking about Mary. Yeah. Being uh, whatever angel. Yeah. Thing. Mother of angels. Yeah. Queen of England. Like they say, Satan and, and uh, I mean, Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. Yeah. 
it's not even possible. One's an angel and one's in flesh, have flesh. Yeah. So I just wanted to tell her that Mary couldn't have even been an angel in the first place. Well, good call, and uh, I agree with you, and thanks. Keep tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We are going to line one, Marie in Holiday. Marie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, this is a little bit off. Um, off the subject? Are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay, this is a little bit off of the subject that you've been talking about. Okay. But it kind of concerns me. Uh -oh. I'm a recent convert to the LDS Church. Okay. Gone through the temple and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, but something disturbing has happened okay. to me, and that has to do with Mitt Romney. Yeah. I got a letter in the mail from what's called the Commonwealth Pact, and it was to an address that the only place that this address is known is in the LDS Church. Wow. And it goes through and it says, you're among a special select group of Republicans. Wow. I'm a non-affiliated person. <laughs> I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Wow. This and is, this is a great a call. Bit on what they're doing because, first off, I don't think they should have given my address to someone in Boston. Yeah. And... They said that they weren't going to be supporting the candidate, but obviously since this is asking me questions that sound kind of like from the church and uh, <laughs> money, <laughs> can, you, for can, money. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Have you watched our show before? Have I watched your show before? Yes. Yes. Uh, can you email me? I don't have an email, but oh. I know one of your phone people. You do? Can you get a copy? Can I have a copy? You can write your name out of that and address, but can you give me a copy of that letter? Okay. I would love it because people, what they'll say is, I'll get emails, I'll say she's making this up, and uh, a copy of it would be great. Okay, yes. I will be glad to do that because, as I said, I find it really disturbing, and I thought, well, maybe I was registered Republican, so I just called the county, you know, the register of voters to ask them where I needed to vote, you know, wow. in the coming election, and to double check to see what I was registered, and they said I was registered non-affiliated, and I said, thank you very much, I was just checking. Well, you know, in uh, 2007, we're going to go each week, and we're going to go through the history of Mormonism, and when you listen to that, you're going to hear how important political power is to the LDS Church, has been from the beginning, and what they have vied for to have in the United States as far as power in government. And uh, it's really interesting that you got that and you're calling today. So it's a great insight. We'll keep, that, we'll keep this one alive. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for calling. Okay. okay have bye -bye. a day and a good evening and bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll talk to her more about her membership later. All right, we're going to Jean in Bountiful, Utah. Jean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, got your book a week ago, and I wanted to tell you thank you, and it's uh, so well annotated. It's really wonderful. Thank you. Um, my question, about two or three weeks ago on your show, you said that um, there's something you'll never hear Mormons talk about, and I'm not sure if you were referring to when they come to your door or what you said. They'll never talk about this, and you were going to explain it, and then you got sidetracked or something. <laughs> Great. I don't know what it is. I think it, maybe it was th that 
that when they go to your door, they're, they're, they lead in with, uh, let's talk about Jesus, and then they talk about the Book of Mormon and not so much about Jesus. But, but if I asked them about, you know, the Bible or something, they, they, they would want to talk about the, the Joseph Smith translation. Yeah. What they do um, is they will always redirect and redirect and redirect to get you back on their schedule. They'll have long-suffering with you as long as you're not asking too difficult of questions. If you become argumentative or combative, they'll leave for good. Uh, and they, they will continue to go, but they'll always try to redirect in, in their theology to get you to understand it. And, but when you constantly will come up with refutations, they'll stop seeing you. What they're looking for are people who are willing to embrace it. And when they find them, they lock in, and that's what they do. And they, it's a numbers game. They just discard the people who are against them and fight them and, and, and ask about really good questions from the Bible, and they just push forward to get to the next guy. Okay. But as far as the specific thing they'll never talk about, you know... It really, and that's another thing too. I, I might be unfair there. It, it does also depend on the missionary. Some of the missionaries are really into like church history or, or into the Bible, or and then some of them aren't. So it's going to depend on the set of missionaries you get too. Okay, I I was just curious. I I was thinking that why would the Bible need to be retranslated by somebody else? The Bible is the Bible. I didn't, don't understand that. I know, I know, and. Uh, Joseph had a lot of very big ambitions, and that one was probably a little bit too big. He never really got through it. Well, we really enjoy your show, and we were addicted to watching it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for calling. Thanks for watching. Okay. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, quickly, we got a few minutes. I'll get to one call. Uh, this is from someone who called, and uh, he says, I can't wait to see you in heaven. Well, I'll visit you from heaven. And he says, you are contradicting everything that the Bible and the Book of Mormon, anyway, I can't argue with you. I think you have done is rationalize your way out of hell, and I hope Jesus does that for you. Have a nice day, you freaking retard. <laughs> you got to love this stuff, man. I mean, how many times do you have someone calling you a freaking retard? I'm sorry, but that's what he called me, you know. Uh, there is some great humor on my side of the fence here, so... Uh, and then there is a final question here. The man didn't leave his name. I would like to hear your take on children because I had a brother that died at six months old, never had a chance to hear about Christ or anything. Does he go to hell? What happens to him? In the LDS religion, he goes to the celestial kingdom. Does your God have children born just so that they can suffer throughout eternity in hell because they never had the opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ? That disturbs me more than sophistry. So could you bring that up? Yes. Um, First of all, the Jews believe that the age of accountability was 13, 13 or 14. So that was the Jews' belief of where accountability was. And as far as little children who don't have an ability to sin, they're born in sin, a world of sin, a, a world of selfishness and, and, and all these things that come with a body, but they don't, they don't have a knowledge of sin, so they're saved by grace. And anybody who tells you differently is crazy. All right? They're saved by the grace of Jesus. He came and he did that so that circumstances like that can be taken care of. There doesn't need to be any of these uh, special circumstances that different churches and even LDS throw in there. Children are saved by the grace of God, and we trust him, we love him, we worship him, we're grateful to him. All right, we're going to Octavio on line three. Octavio, you're on Heart of the Matter. You've got one minute. 
Okay, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, uh, I call him, the reason I'm calling is because uh, I have had Mormons say that uh, Holy Trinity is uh, two different persons, completely different ones. Yeah. And I have a, I have a, I have the Bible here. The uh, it's a King James Version Bible. Okay. First John, chapter five, verse seven that says, "For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one." Beautiful. God bless. Thank you, bye. God bless you. Thank you so much. All right, do we have another? We have a minute and a half. I can close it up. Listen, uh, those of you who go to our website, we've had a change. Our message board, we've shut it down. Yes, we've had complaints about shutting it down. We shut it down tonight, I believe. Uh, we are coming up with a different type of message board soon, and that will be up. Uh, I apologize to anybody who really liked the message board, but what we found was there was too much arguing and name-calling and uh, contention. When you talk about religion, uh, you're going to have that. And, uh, you know, we are human, and we do get caught up in our emotions, and the message board was not facilitating learning about the differences between biblical Christianity and Mormonism. And so we're changing that. And if I've offended you in that way by taking it away, I'm sorry. But we will have an alternative that we think is going to be much better. Other than that, uh, we just praise God for this time. We're grateful you tune in. Check in next week because next week, we're going to talk about our philosophy of ministry. See you then. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start.